everybody has the opportunity to lead. When we develop capacity to lead, then nobody leads alone. Nobody's changing the way they talk about us until we change the way that we talk about us. If we're more intentional about this work, we give ourselves a better chance. The topic for today's podcast is Lead From Where You Are with Dr. Joe Sanfilippo. Unpacking Education is brought to you by Avid.org. Avid believes people learn through collaboration and community. To learn more about Avid, visit their website at avid.org. Welcome to Unpacking Education, the podcast where we explore current issues and best practices in education. I'm Rena Clark. I'm Paul Beckerman. And I'm Winston Benjamin. We are educators. And we're here to share insights and actionable strategies. Education is our passport to the future. Our quote for today is from Dr. Joe Sanfilippo in his book, Lead from Where You Are, Building Intention, Connection, and Direction in Our Schools. In the intro to the book, Joe writes, We need people to lead, and the greatest leaders find ways to get the most of those around them. They help them lead and realize their impact from where they are. All right, Winston, what are you thinking about that? I'm thinking about the fact that it takes people to encourage others to take that step forward. I know sometimes it's a lot risky to to be wrong. And also sometimes it feels like your leader micromanage or doesn't trust your skills, even though you were hired. So I think this part about giving your employees, your coworkers, your friends, the opportunity and the recognitions that they are strong enough to lead, I think is something that I'm getting out of this. Right. Giving that permission to be a leader. Yeah. Lagrina, what about you? I, I think I'll just add on to what Winston was getting at. It's just reiterating that idea that leadership is not confined to a particular role or position. Yes, there is an administrator, someone with that leader label. But really, this it's this collective effort to really empower everyone that's part of the building to bring out the best in everyone. And. I really think in the building level that leadership, a big part of your role is to facilitate that, like Winston said, and lift up others. And also, quite frankly, in this work, it actually makes your work better. And when you can find other people and lift them up and have them become leaders, and then they can contribute to the success and growth of the students and community and have more buy-in. So everyone's more successful when we have the ability to facilitate and share those leadership roles. And I'm talking down every position in a building. Yeah. And success is what we're about. So if we can, Mm -hmm. if we can have that community drive toward that success, fantastic. And then I think it filters down to students, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. And we want students to be leaders too, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we have uh, the author of that statement with us today, Dr. Joe Sanfilippo, and uh, I'm going to read his little official blurb here to you. Uh, Joe spent the last 12 years as a superintendent of the Fall Creek School District in Fall Creek, Wisconsin. Before becoming superintendent, Joe served as an elementary teacher, school counselor, coach, and principal. And in 2019, Education Drive named Joe their National Superintendent of the Year. So congratulations, Joe, and welcome to the show. Well, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was uh, it was like a popularity contest. And again, my mom 
voted a lot. She hadn't really got a lot to do. <laughs> so, or, or it was like, or they they designated it by height, and I'm really small. So I think it's kind of like either way, I won, and this is awesome. You know, so it works out well for me. <laughs> and it gave you a platform to uh, to share some of your, <laughs> exactly your good ideas. Right. So that's, that's cool. Exactly right. yeah, that's got, awesome. I only got three ideas, so it works out okay. So it's good, fantastic. Well, good. We got a whole episode to talk about those three. So. <laughs> Absolutely. You want to tell us just a little bit more about yourself so your, our listeners kind of get, get some context? Absolutely. So I, so, um, I, I, I started my, my education career as a, as a second grade teacher. I actually taught kindergarten for about six months, and I knew that that was just not going to happen. That was, these people <laughs> are saints. I mean, anybody who's teaching kindergarten, forget it. Like, you just, like carpool lane to heaven these people so i was in i i taught second grade i taught fifth grade uh i was a high school counselor i'm sorry elementary counselor i coached at the high school and then i got into administration so i i taught for about uh eight years and then i was an administrator i was a principal for eight years and a superintendent for 12 years so all of that uh along the way has been super fun in terms of like uh finding different ways to lead and help people and um, the book that, that you were referencing, honestly, is just a compilation of stuff that I screwed up and I'm trying to help people not <laughs> screw stuff up. So it's, you know, I don't, uh, I don't profess to know everything, but at the same time I screwed a ton of stuff up. So it was cool to be able to kind of go back and help, uh, help people fix that process. Mm. So what, okay. So you learned from where you were, yeah. so you could lead from where you were, yeah, so right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> there it was. So why why'd you pick the t- title for the book Lead from Where You Are because that where you are is kind of the unique part of that. Yeah, I think the biggest thing about leading from I think everybody leads in, in some capacity. You're leading leading a, a small group of 2, 3, 4 kids at a time or a classroom or a or a or a building or a district or a department or a community or whatever the case may be. I think everybody has the opportunity to lead. And if we can figure out ways to lead from the position that we're in, we can find ways to impact not only those that we serve in leading that position, but those around us as well. And I think that when we develop capacity to lead, then nobody leads alone. And I think that's really one Mm. of the biggest premises of the book is that, you know, the job, if it's just about the job, it's isolating and lonely and can get depressing. But if it's an opportunity to really help people grow, you know, and, and develop not only their own talent, but how that talent then you know, Im- impacts the purpose of the organization, then everybody walks to school feeling better uh, about the work that they do. And that's really the most exciting part for me. I like the way you talk about things. Like if I was one of your teachers, I'd be like, oh, word, I like him as a superintendent. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know what I mean? So one of the things that I want to know is like, and especially like you said, teachers lead the classroom, they lead their kids. But how do you think classroom teachers can recognize where and how they can lead from where they are. Yeah. The first thing is that they, I think, well, I think the first thing that we, we got to get out of our own way. I I really do. Mm. I think the way that we talk about school and the way that we talk about each other and the way that we talk about the work that we personally do has an impact on the way that people see us. Right. So I think there's Mm. too many people that walk around and say, well, I'm just a teacher. I can't do this. Or I'm just a paraprofessional. I can't do this. Or I'm just a custodian. I can't do this or whatever. It's always followed by something that they can't do. And one thing that we have to understand about the work that we do is that nobody's changing the way they talk about us until we change the way that we talk about us. 
And if the only mm-hmm. thing that we do is change the way that we talk about us, we give everybody a, a, a chance in that space. So when you say that you're just a teacher, then the person that you're talking to, you give them license to talk about you that way. Like, because that's mm. how you're doing it. So how do we, I think sometimes the biggest thing that we need to change is the way that we talk about us. And if you don't want to talk about the great stuff that you're doing in the classroom, like I understand that because that gets to be a little bit much sometimes and people aren't comfortable talking about how great they are and the fact that they're moving, you know, like they're changing the lives of kids, which in and of itself should be enough to talk about, but they don't want to do it, which is okay. I get that. Mm. But that does not <laughs> preclude you from talking about the greatness of the person next door. And if we just start there, if we start with making sure that the people next door know how great they are, then all of a sudden you put yourself in a position where not only do you become more you know, cognizant of what's going on around you, but you become the person that gets to connect the great stories to the people of the world. And that's all we really want to do. I think that's kind of where I would start with our group and, and what they've done. They've done an incredible job of that. Um, and I've just it's been fun to watch them. Um, you know, talk about each other in a way that allows others outside that don't see them every day to really lean into the work that they do. And, um, and that's been, I, I think of all the things that we've done, I think that's really been the biggest, had the biggest impact on our community. Mm. I, I love that. Just changing the way we think about ourselves. It's back to my yellow car theory, y'all, where I swear I never noticed yellow cars until yep. I had a yellow car. I was talking about my yellow car, and then I saw yellow cars everywhere. Right. Um, you had a taxi? I, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a bumblebee, and it's a bee-kind car. Oh, okay. oh hey, I like nice. that. It's not a taxi. Nice. Do not that call is cool. Car. See, because I talk about it because that's how I present it as bee-kind, and that's how I'm perceived. Yes. So well, you, but it. kind <laughs> people would pick other people up and give them a ride. So, <laughs> so get Well, I am. I'm a taxi driver for three young children. There you go. So, yeah, yeah. That's right. That's true. <laughs> you know, there, it's really but, interesting that you say that, Rita, because I was talking about the, the I was listening to somebody was talking about buzzwords in education the other day, right? And I and I saw it. And I'm like, and one of the buzzwords that they said was being intentional. And I'm like, mm, I don't buy that. I just don't buy it. Because it's like being intentional is not a buzzword, it's a process. And just Success. exactly mm. like what you said. If I asked you how many yellow cars you saw on your way to work yesterday, you probably wouldn't be able to tell me. But if I said, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks for every yellow car you see tomorrow on your way to work, are you going to pay more attention to yellow cars? Absolutely you are. And I, right? And I'm going to drive under the speed limit. Absolutely. And take an route. You're going to find every <laughs> You're going to walk right through the place where there's a bunch of taxis. Like that's it. Like, yeah. you know, I mean, and I think that if we're more intentional about this work, we give ourselves a better chance. And I think that's the only thing that we're trying to do. Everything in the book, I'm telling you, like, there's no rocket science in there. I'm not like, let's be really honest about it. We're not splitting any atoms here, man. But when you read it, I think, I hope people read half of the book and go, oh, I already do that, but I do it in this way, right? And the other half, they're like, oh, that's a cool idea. I like that, right? So it reaffirms what you're currently doing. Because it, it's like, I think everybody's trying to get like the new whatever. It's not always about the new stuff, man. Like a lot of times it's mm. about making sure that you recognize the work that you're doing already has tremendous value. And it doesn't need to be new. It just needs to be literally acknowledged. Like that's all we're talking about. So the more that we can do that, I think we put ourselves in a better position. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of want to get into part one of your book, which is really around the why. Yeah. So I feel like this is going to connect, but why do you devote a whole section of the book to that? And why is the why, in your opinion, so important? Well, it comes first 
for a reason, right? Like if you don't know why you do the stuff, then why are you actually doing the stuff, right? And I think that's, well, that's, that is one of the buzzwords that I think we got to really realize. Everybody says like, like, go find your why. Yeah, I get it. Like the mm-hmm. problem is if you don't get a chance to see it every day, now that puts you in a really difficult position. And we live and work in an industry where you don't get the immediate gratification for the work that you do. Think about it. How many times have you gone, you, how many times have you had a kid come back to you five, 10, 15 years after you had him in class? And they see you at a restaurant or a game or on the street. And they're like, oh, you know, you were a great teacher. I loved having you as a teacher. You were a wonderful teacher. And what you want to say is, man, you could have said something. Like you were <laughs> literally here every day. You were never absent. Like you could have said something <laughs> when you were here. But they don't. <laughs> and then we're left to wonder, right? And if you come to school every day and you wonder if the work that you do has value, you start to wonder why you do it. So what we talk about is when the why is the importance of why is finding a way to see that why every day when you don't when you live and work in an organization where it's really hard to see it. Now, if if you're a kindergarten teacher and you walk and you see kids smiling at you all day like it's it, like you can find it then. You're teaching high school and they're just walking in going, another day. You know what? I my daughter's a junior in high school. I love her to the ends of the earth, but she's a lot. And I can tell, like, when she comes into a classroom, like, she's bringing that. You know what I mean? And so what are we doing to put ourselves in a spot where we can help each other see some of the great things? Because some of the things that happen in the high school level, the best parts about the high school level are when you see people talking in a hallway, when you see a kid after a game, when you see somebody. Like, those are the stuff, those are the things that they're going to remember. So if we can be constantly reminded of why we do what we do, then when we get into the what portion of the book or the what portion of the job, it makes it easier because it brings us back with purpose. Cool. And I taught those those high school kids for yeah. a lot of years. It's <laughs> true. But you know what? They you got to give them the purpose to be there. Absolutely. And I, you, you mentioned you know we mentioned earlier letting kids lead. Mm-hmm. If we can do that in our classrooms, yeah. they do come alive. Absolutely. Because then they they know. They have this important role in that process. So, well, well you know what's really interesting about that? What's really interesting to me about that is we talk about how we're creating leaders of tomorrow, but then we don't let them lead until they go. Like, what are we doing? Mm, right. Right? Like, wouldn't we want them to lead with a net? Like, let's let's let them lead in an opportunity so they can lead where they're not going to absolutely, you know, fall off the face of the earth and think I'm never going to do that again. I think that, and the thing that was really interesting, one of the things that we've talked about, and it's not in this book, it's in the other book that I wrote, uh, uh, Passion Projects that we do with our staff members, is we allow them to pick a project that they're really passionate about. And they, they go throughout the course of the year and they really invest in that project. And at the end of the year, we have a street fair where all of our teachers get together and talk about what they learned throughout the course of the year. And part of it is to say it worked or it didn't work. And there's no judgment if it didn't. It's just a conversation about why it didn't work or why it did work, right? And I think once our group knew that it wasn't about the end, like it was successful or not, they started making sure that they really invested in it. And so the reason I tell you that is because what do you think happened when we started letting teachers own their work and own the process? What do you think happened in classrooms, right? It wasn't that they didn't want kids to own their work. They just didn't know what it looked like. And once they figured out what it looked like, it was really easy because it didn't seem as overwhelming, right? Mm. And so we've we've been I, that's just been a really cool thing. And we like we live stream that event. And a couple of years ago, we live streamed that event of our teachers teaching other teachers, and we had twenty one thousand people watch the live stream. 
And so when they're getting te- wow. when they're getting questions from all over the country about the work that they're doing, all of a sudden they like they perk up a little bit. They start answering questions from Massachusetts and Texas and Washington and you know and and like everywhere. And people just watching them. It was it was a very cool thing, but it allowed them to show off. And at that point, they let their kids show off too. And everybody needs that. Absolutely. Everybody needs that experience to have purpose and to have drive and. It's more than a worksheet. It's more than sit down and be quiet. It's get up and do something. Let's get excited. Let's get fired up. And and I love the the authentic audience piece of that. That's so key. Mm-hmm. You were going to say something, Rena. I saw you. I just I was pondering this whole idea because, as Joe pointed out, it's like the process that the teachers went through was then put in. I would assume with. You were saying that you see that more in classrooms. They had an authentic audience. They saw the impact of it. Oh, well, maybe next year my students will have an authentic audience. And I can see that being circular. And so I can, I just be curious to see how that affected students as well. Yeah, they were, they loved it. And the thing about a lot of the passion projects was that the next, you know, as we started doing them, a lot of the passion projects that teachers brought to the table for the street fair were things that kids had done like we like we had middle school kids that built a business right we're talking middle school kids they're selling night crawlers to fishermen around here and you know they're got they've like creating the environment for these night crawlers and they're doing all the social marketing for it and they're doing like all the you know all the business stuff and social media like they're doing all this stuff and these kids are the ones that are doing it and so when our teachers get to talk about what their kids did because they own that whole process you know, you could just like you could see them light up, and it's pretty cool. And those now they teach. Now we got four or five teachers that speak all over the country. You know, because of because of that. That's cool. There's something that you're saying that kind of goes back to that, like remembering to talk positive about your neighbor, right? Like the teachers talk positive about their students, gave them gave the teachers more encouragement to do more, right? So I think that's an important thing is that we are so quick to self deprecate just because we care so much about other people and we want others to shine, but like to remember that that shining also is our work, right? I think there's a piece of that that's that's important that you're alluding to that I just wanted to highlight specifically. I, I couldn't agree more with I I absolutely, and it gives you practice in terms of talking about great things because sometimes we just, we just, we're stuck. Mm-hmm. You talk about the passion project thing and in your book, you talk about the importance of having moments of awe. Mm-hmm. How does how does that tie into leadership? Yeah, well, that's actually I think one of the easiest things <laughs> to be really honest. Because think about this. I mean, think about how many are you guys list people? You guys make lists? Any guys make lists? Wait, Rita does. You guys make <laughs> okay. So, are you like the person that adds stuff to the list if you do something and check it off just so you get credit for it? Yeah. Okay. Good. Me too. Right. Uh, for my own Absolutely. self. You I should get credit for that. You did it. I need to have you a win. Hit, sometimes 100%. I, w- I need a 100%. win. So I'll put something I know I'm going to yes. get done so I can feel better Absolutely. about the other I'll things. put stuff that I already did <laughs> just to get it off. Like, let's be honest <laughs> check, about check. it, right? <laughs> and so, but if you're always in that checklist mentality, there's always something on your list. And think about it. Rita. How many things on your list are things that you like to do? Or are they just things that need to get done? And so here's the thing that ends up happening. The reason I tell you that is because how many things do you walk past throughout the course of the day to get to the next thing on your list? And would any of the things that you walk past bring you enough joy to bring you back the next day feeling better about the work that you do? 
right? We work in places where there are kids doing amazing things. And every day you walk past things that are awe-inspiring every single day. You don't mean to, but you do. So what are we doing to put ourselves? We talk about this whole mentality of recognize, acknowledge, extend, right? What are you doing to put yourself in the right mindset to recognize the greatness that happens around you, acknowledge the greatness that happens around you, and then extend the greatness that happens around you to somebody who didn't see it? So then all of a sudden, Mm -hmm. if you're the one that recognizes it, acknowledges it, extends it, now you become the leader that gets not only a chance to see these great things, but you become the connector for all those great stories. So if you're the connector for these moments of awe, you don't even need to be there for them. You just need to make sure that they get extended beyond the time that they take place. And that makes that makes you the connector of all of these stories, which let's be honest, if you're in a, if you're in a leadership role, let's just talk about the role. If you're in a leadership role, there's a lot of times where you're not getting the great stuff coming your way, right? And if you don't manufacture opportunities to see those great things, all of a sudden you're stuck in the mud with all the other garbage that you got to take care of. And that's when you start to wonder why you're even doing it. So if you become the connector of great stories, the connector of those moments of awe, now all of a sudden you put yourself in a situation where not only you, I can't take the bad stuff off your plate and I wouldn't pretend to. But the other stuff is there if we're willing to like see it. And if we become the connectors, then just like the yellow car that you're talking about, Rena, you start to notice more stuff because you become the connector of those great things. And I, I think this connects to the part where you talk about starting and ending your day with joy. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about Yeah, that? absolutely. So we talked to our group about starting your day and ending your day with joy just to make sure that you do something at the beginning of the day and end of the day that makes you happy. And, you know, here's the other thing that's important about starting and ending with joy. It's not just about joy. The other side is just as important, start and end your day. Because if you don't start and end your day, that's when you cycle. And when you cycle, that's when you get burned out. And when you get burned out, that's when you start to wonder why it's even worth it, right? And I think that if you can start and end your day with joy, it puts yourself in a position where you're present and engaged for the people that you're with. If I start my day with joy, put myself in the right mindset, I'm present and engaged for all the people that I serve at school. If I end my day with joy, I'm present and engaged for my family when I come home. I know I can't put my phone down all night. I know I'm not confident confident of that right now. I can't put my phone down from when I get home to when I go to bed. There's no way I can do it, but I can do it for the first half hour. And if I do it for the first half hour and I'm present and engaged with my family, it makes it easier in three hours when I get a board member, a text from a board member, or I got to go back to school for something, or I got to answer the phone call. Like it gets, puts me in a better position because I'm starting and ending with joy that puts me, makes me present and engaged for the people that I'm with at that particular time. All of this stuff, everything that we're talking about is literally just to give you a chance because I don't know all the answers but I'm trying to give people the best chance to be successful in whatever it is that they're doing. And my hope is that some of the things that we talk about in terms of starting and ending your day with joy allows you to put yourself in the best position to see some of the great things that are happening, whether it's at school or whether it's at home. It's like, a, you, like I said, you got me excited to go back into work, <laughs> right? Like after this, right, at the end of the day, it, I don't want to do it, but I'm getting there. One of the things that I'm, that I'm hearing from you and also heard throughout the connection through your book is this idea of connection, right? And I love the fact that it's like intentional connection, connection for a purpose, not just a connection. So I love that concept. But 
you write, and I'm going to quote you, and like, if you could talk a little bit more to this quote, because I, I, I feel like it's a two-way street that's happening with teachers and students, okay. and they don't know that it's actually happening. So you write, in the absence of knowledge, people make up their own, mm-hmm. right? What does that mean to you, and why is it important for us to recognize that in the absence of knowledge, right, in the absence of the connection, that we make up our own, what, why is that a, a, an important thing for us to think about? Well, it, it happens everywhere we go. When people don't know what you mm. do, they make up what you do. And here's the big, here's, there's mm. two problems with it. The first problem is the people who are making up what you do in schools went to school 25 years ago. And they're so mm. jacked up they didn't get a second chicken sandwich at lunch. Or they got put against the wall mm. at recess. Or they got a grade they didn't deserve or the coach didn't play them. And then all of a sudden they talk about it like it happened yesterday, right? So these, that's the first part is that when people don't know what you do outside of your space, they make up what you do inside of your space. But let's be honest, it happens inside of your space too. If people don't know what you do as the leader in your space, they make up what you do as the leader in your space. And then you become less of a leader and more of a number. Because when you leave the room, they start asking this question. Well, for all that money, for all that money, we pay that person, we get more teachers. For all that money, we get more stuff. For all that money, we go on more field trips. For all that money, for all that money, for all that money. And they start asking that question, and then you become less of a leader and more of a number. So when we put ourselves in a situation where people know and understand what we do, we give ourselves a better chance to do what we do. And that does that mean that do you think I don't I'm let's be honest. I don't think it's right that we have to do that, but it's real that they make up what you do when they're not there. Right. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's what it is. So we can either put our head in the sand and say it's not right and complain about it or just give ourselves the best chance on the other side of it. And that's all we're trying to do. Right. So fill in the gaps in terms of what people see and what's actually happening because they went to school 25 years ago and they're still talking about it like it happened yesterday from one perspective, right? They're not there. It's like six o'clock in the morning or 10 o'clock at night. They're not there for any of those hard conversations, right? Mm -hmm. But they all went to school. And when you go to school, you know how to run a school, especially if you had a 13 year internship at a school, you know exactly how that place is supposed to roll out. And they talk about Mm. it like it happened yesterday. So what are we doing to make sure that they know and understand that the work that, that we do is, is, might be different, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a, a, absolutely, and there's such a powerful thing about like kids not knowing their teacher mm-hmm. and why their teacher, ma- why it matters that this teacher care about this math class or this class, right? Or the teacher's not knowing a student's life and then say, this kid is going nowhere. 100%. So to, 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 to all of what you said and the, I love the fact that the absence of knowledge people make up their own knowledge. I love that part of your quote. I appreciate you bringing that point in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, that, of all the things that we talked about, there's there's two things that hit people the hardest. And one is in the absence of knowledge, people tend to make up their own. Actually, it's like three or four. But the other one is every interaction matters because every interaction could be the one that they talk about for the rest of their lives. And so, mm. you know, the, the problem is you just don't know which one it is. And honestly, I don't love that every interaction matters. I'm just going to be really clear mm-hmm. and transparent mm-hmm. about that. I don't love it, but I acknowledge that it's real. And if I acknowledge that it's real, that means I treat all these conversations differently because I know and understand that that might be the one thing that they talk about in 25 years. I don't have to love mm-hmm. it. I just have to acknowledge that it's real. Mm-hmm. And then those ones don't make up that story for 13 years ago about how they hated it, Absolutely. right? Because... Absolutely. You kept it real. They start talking about the other side of it. The fact that you, you know, you went out of your way to make sure that you went to a game that they didn't have anybody going to the game with them for. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you look up in the stands, mm-hmm. they see you. They sit there. They, they, you walk down the hallway. You ask them a question about what's going on because you know where they're coming from. 
Like that's the mm-hmm. stuff that they're going to remember. The problem is like, you don't know. Like I, I remember I went to, I went back and, and keynoted an event. Actually it's the last story in the, in the, um, in the book. And I went back and keynoted an event at where I started my teaching career in Pulaski, Wisconsin. And I remember I went through and I was looking at all this stuff and I was walking to where the keynote was and I made eye contact with this huge, huge guy, huge guy. So I went over and I took the selfie with him and whatever. And I couldn't help but feel like I'd been in that same position before. And I had because 18 years before that day, he was a second grader in my class. And that was his oh! first day. That was his first day teaching second grade in Pulaski, Wisconsin. And I got to be there for it. Here's the reason I tell you a story. When we started talking about second grade, he started talking about all the stuff that we used to do. And I didn't remember any of it. Any of it. He remembered all this stuff that I had no idea. I was so I was so concerned about bulletin boards. And I was so concerned about making sure that the name tags were equidistant from the desk on each side. Like I was so concerned about the stuff that I missed out on all of the connections in the middle of it that would have brought me joy and brought me back the next day, not wondering if what I was doing had an impact on these kids, you know? And Mm. it's 18 years later, right? Like, so what are we really doing here, man? What are we doing? What can we do to figure out ways to bring us back the next day that give us an opportunity to see some of the great stuff that's going on? Because it's happening in literally every every school across the country. Mm-hmm. You have talked so many times in our conversation about highlighting the positive, starting your day with joy, ending your day with joy, moments of awe. Why is that strength-based, asset-based mindset so key to leadership? I think the first thing is because at some point, it's all going to come crashing down. Like mm. bad stuff's <laughs> going to happen, man. I, you know, mm. two years ago, I'm sitting here on a Friday night with my family watching TV and I get a knock at the door and somebody is serving me papers because we're getting sued in federal court. Like, that's not a fun night, right? So what are we doing to put ourselves in a situation where we can see some of the joy in the work that we do so when that stuff happens, it doesn't turn into, well, I guess here we go, right? Like, mm-hmm. bad stuff's going to happen. And I, like, you can't control a lot of it. And so the one thing that you can control is figuring out how you can create some joy in these spaces. And I think we've been really cognizant about it. It doesn't have to be something big like getting sued in federal court, which is, like I said, not a fun thing to do. But at the same time, like... (laughs) Yeah, let's not do that. right? But sometimes it's just the angry parent, right? Or, you know, the angry colleague or whatever the case may be. So I think it's got to be, you got to be real clear about how you can create some momentum for when things are... Because they're, they're all, it's always something bad's gonna happen. Like uh, something, it's like this. So here's the thing, and well, you'll you'll understand. My my father-in-law says there are two types of people in in Wisconsin. Same thing in Minnesota. Two types of people in Wisconsin and Minnesota: those who have hit a deer and those who will. It's the same thing with crisis in schools. There are those people who have gone through crisis and those who will. It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And if you are building up the strengths and assets of the person next to you. They will come and help you drag that deer to the Absolutely. side of the road so you can go get your car fixed. Absolutely. <laughs> but you you start you start with strengths. Every great yeah. conversation, every great relationship that I've had has started with a strength conversation, something that somebody does well. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I didn't walk up to my wife first time I met her and said, you know, you could probably drive better. Like I didn't do that. 
We started with the fact that you're smoking hot. Like that's the kind of stuff that we talk with, but right? and then we can get into the driving stuff later. But you know what I mean? Like that's the kind of conversations always start with strength stuff to get you going in the right direction so you can create momentum along the way. So mm. I it, this leads into my next question because mm-hmm. is it it goes back to the quote about leaders giving people the opportunity to lead because we all need more people to lead, right? Right? You're talking about the strength base and values and like building. How do you build the capacity of others to lead? Right. As a leader, like you're here. It's the year I am worried about. Is this equidistant from the (laughs) edges? You know what I mean? Like, how do you get that person to center themselves and recognize that they do have the opportunity to lead? Let them. Mm. I mean, that's really what it is. You got to let them. And a lot of times it's not going to look like the way that you wanted it to, but swallow a little pride, man. Like that's the mm. thing. If, if you're always trying to be right, you can't be real with anybody. So mm. I think you got to be, I think you got right. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. That's a t-shirt right there. If you want to like, if I'll do, I'm going to tell you, there's a story in the book that I am, I'm embarrassed about, but I'll tell it. I'll tell a story. And it's like, there, there was, we had a teacher Man, and she was great. She's a great teacher. Just fantastic. And she was a leader. And I think that, and she, I always used to say this thing when I, my first couple of years of principal, I always used to say, we need to work smarter, not harder. Right. And it was like, come on, man. Like, it was like, if I'm not going to give some examples, like that's just like, it, it's not, not good. So I, um, I would never tell them how to do that. I would just say that you have to blah, blah, blah. I was like, it was bad. It was not a good situation. But anyway, so I, so this woman would get really mad when I would say it. And she'd come into my office after meetings that I said it to you said it again. You said it again. You can't work hard. <laughs> Every time you do that, it, it feels like you're telling us that we're not, we're, we're not doing the right thing right now. And mm. I was like a second year principal. So I, I knew everything. You know what I mean? Like I'm, tw- I'm literally, like it was 30 years old at the time. I'm 30 years old. I know everything about leadership because come on. Right. And so she's sitting in my office and she's, we're having this conversation. And I said to her, Judy, go over, go over to the door. And the door was closed. And I said, now here, I want you to pull on the door. And she pulls on the door and I said, pull it harder. And she pulls it harder. And I said, pull it harder. She pulls it harder. Nothing, nothing. Door stays closed. I said, now turn the knob and pull it. She turns the knob, pulls it, it opens. And I sat there like I had just split the atom. I sat there like I had just given this woman the greatest gift of leadership in the history of the world. And because I had to be right in that moment, I completely lost her. Mm-hmm. She never led anymore. Never. Because I mm. called her out in a way that I didn't need to. I needed to be right in that moment when I could have just explained where I was coming from and say, hey, I, I and, and gave her some more support in what she did. I lost her. It's my own fault. And now she came back and things got better. And I, after I apologized a thousand times for being an idiot, but at the same time, I never had her back the way she was before that happened. So I think when you talk about letting people lead, you got to let them and it's not going to look the way that you had intended to. And that's okay, but it's, it's going to be better because you've created more capacity to lead. And the more that we do that, not only do we create more leaders, but then they create more leaders because then Mm. they're willing to do it too. It's that whole passion project mentality, right? When we allowed our staff members to see what it looked like and not be like, like we did those passion projects. And the first year that I did them with, with our staff, when we did all of these together, first time that we rolled it out, the question was, well, what are they like? Give me an example. What would it look like? Like, give me an example. And I wouldn't. 
And they got so frustrated that I wouldn't give them an example. And I said, if I give you an example, everything is going to look like that example. I'm going to tell you right now, you can't do it wrong. If you lean into it and you learn, you can't do it wrong. If that doesn't mean that it needs to succeed, but you can't do it wrong if you lean into it. Because at the end of it, if it didn't work and you're honest with yourself and you tell everybody that it didn't work, and this is the reason why you'd think it didn't work, we all get better for that. So I'm not going to give you an example. And they were mad. Boy, they were mad. Oh, they were mad. But then after like two years of keeping goals really close to the vest because they didn't know how I was going to respond, in like year three, the stuff that they came up with was just crazy. And it was awesome. And we had high school, high school kids coming, high school science classes coming down to teach four-year-old kindergarten science classes because they wanted to see the trajectory of where the science curriculum went from 4K to the senior in high school. So having high school kids come down and teach lessons to where it all started was an incredible experience for everybody. That wouldn't have happened without those passion projects. So Everything comes, the better stuff comes out of it when you allow them to lead. And when you always have to be right, then no, first of all, like I said, you won't, you can't be real, but nobody's going to bring anything to you of any kind of, um, nobody will bring something to you that may or may not work. Okay. Oh, a lot to think about, but I'm going (laughs) to, I'm going to take us into our next section um, and maybe we can provide some tools. So we're going to get into our toolkit. So it's time to ask the question, what's in your toolkit? Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. Check it out. What's in the toolkit? What? What is in the toolkit? Uh, what's in the toolkit? Check it out. Um, so Winston, do you want to start us off today with our toolkit? I'm just going to jump, drop the book that we've been talking about into the toolkit, lead from where you are building intention, connection, and direction in our school. Like from our conversation, I think there's some important things about connection for the purpose of doing something, not just getting to know kids, not just getting to know someone, not just knowing their story. Why are you knowing the story and how do you help that story get someone to move. So dropping that as a a toolkit. Mm -hmm. You want to go ahead, Paul? This is something off Joe's website. So if you go to jsanfilippo.com, he's got this thing that he did called One Minute Walk to Work. Right, Joe? I do. Yeah. Where where literally it took you a minute to walk from your house to work and and you recorded these little little leadership thoughts on the way. They are just cool. They're these Mm -hmm. little nuggets of, of insights with a challenge. Uh, to think about. And I think you can impart ideas in a short little chunk like that. And it's pretty cool. One of my my favorites that I saw was just your desire to amplify all the good things that were happening in the school and how you communicated that with the board when they hired you. Mm -hmm. It's like, even if I'm not the best you ever hire, I am going to be the loudest, you say. And and we're going to celebrate what happens in this district. That's cool. Mm. One minute walk to work. Check it out. Mine was a little bit along those lines. We've done something in the past called Bright Spots. So it's highlighting those bright spots and awesome things that are going on in the building in the classroom. Um, And it can be shared in many different ways and platforms. It can be teachers highlighting other teachers. It can be different admin highlighting. But then it can be in a newsletter. It can be in a short video. It can be something that goes out to the community. All different platforms are just highlighting those bright spots in many different ways. Hey, Joe, you want to drop something in the toolkit? 
Absolutely. Of all the things that you read in the book, if you're going to take one thing away from it, it's that whole concept of recognizing knowledge extend. Because if you put yourself in the right mindset, I would think about like how you start your day. What are the first eight things you do to start your day? Like if you just wrote those things down, right? What are the first eight things you do to start your day? Take a look at them and see how many of those things bring you joy. And where are those things on your list? Are they at the beginning of your list, end of your list? Are they not on your list, right? If you figure out a way to start your day where you can put yourself in the right mindset to recognize the greatness of those around you, if we recognize the greatness of your colleagues, acknowledge the greatness of your colleagues, and extend the greatness of your colleagues. And of your colleagues, it's important because it's really hard to take care of kids when we're not taking care of the adults taking care of the kids, right? Mm. So when you are in that situation, now you become the connector for great stories like we had talked about before. And if you're the one that consistently extends stories to people who don't get a chance to see the great work, you're going to invite more great stories coming your way. So recognize it, acknowledge it, and extend it. Mm. Awesome. I appreciate that. Now it's time for the the one thing. Like, What's the one thing that you're walking away with still in your mind that you would like to roll around a little bit longer than this conversation that we're having right now? Um, So I'm going to throw around. What's that one thing you're still thinking about? It's time for that one thing. One thing. One thing. Time for that one thing. It's that one thing. Paul, Rena. So I, I, I think it was just highlighted, but I just at the beginning when we started, Joe said, no one is changing the way they talk about us unless we change the way that we talk about us is still resonating with what are the different ways that I can st- amplify and help do that. Mm. Paul? You know, I always have two, Winston. Because uh. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say start with strength, because that is so important to start with that positive and that strength-based approach. But then um, what really stuck with me too was let them lead. Mm. We have to provide opportunity and then really let them do it. And that goes for Co-workers, teachers, it goes for our students in our classrooms. If we're classroom teachers, um, we're, we're sometimes so afraid to let go that nobody else ever gets a chance to shine. So we got to let them. So I'm going to jump in and I'm going to kind of steal what you at, piggyback and then jump into mine. If you have to be right, you can't be real. That stuck with me because we have to remember to share others shine. One of my favorite things about hip hop is dropping jewels and dropping gems. Sometimes you got to put information out there so somebody can take it and want to take it. And the way you do that is my showing that it's bright, show others shine, show others greatness. And then you'll, people will come to see yours. Joe, since you, we've been letting you shine, do you mind shining one more time? My brother? Absolutely. I think that the, the biggest thing for me is that every interaction matters because every interaction could be the one that they talk about for the rest of their lives. So if you walk in every interaction knowing and understanding that that might be the way that they talk about you in 25 years, I think you treat that conversation a little bit differently because we don't get to choose what they remember, right? Mm. So what are we going to do to put ourselves in a spot that allows us the opportunity to be remembered the way that we want to be remembered? Absolutely. So I'm going to put you on the spot, Joe. I'm going to give you a challenge. Bring it. A a one-minute walk to the end of the podcast. And of course, you have to end with go crickets because I know Always that's what you do every time. <laughs> so can you can you do it off the top of your head, just on the spur of the moment, a one minute walk to the end of the podcast? Absolutely. Um, okay, I'll do one. 
So I'll just I'll start. The way that I always started is uh, everybody, Joseph Lippel, Fall Creek, Wisconsin, one minute walk to work. And here's what I'm thinking about today. And what I'm thinking about today is the opportunity for us to amplify the voices of those around us. And when we put our head down and we go and go and go and do and do and do and never take a step back to realize the impact of what we do, we miss out on some of the greatest things that could happen right in front of us and that allow us to come back the next day feeling great about the work that we do. So my for the leadership challenge for next week is simply this. Look up, chase some smiles, figure out a way to feel happy about the work that you do, and have a wonderful week. Take care, everybody. Go crickets. <laughs> Thanks, Joe. Perfect. You nailed it. Thanks for being here. No problem, Thank guys. You. Thanks for listening to Unpacking Education. We invite you to visit us at avidopenaccess.org where you can discover resources to support student agency, equity, and academic tenacity to create a classroom for future-ready learners. We'll be back here next Wednesday for a fresh episode of Unpacking Education. And remember, go forth and be awesome. Thank you for all you do. You make a difference.